Welcome to the Modern Mexico Podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Parrish. On today's episode of the podcast, we're talking about the security dynamic in Tijuana, Mexico. We're going to look at how it's possible that Mexico's most violent city is also one of its greatest economic success stories. Tijuana is one of the most dynamic industrial clusters in Mexico. The city has a thriving industrial sector that employs over a quarter of a million people. Between 2016 and 2022, foreign, aerospace, automotive, and electronics companies invested over $11 billion in the state of Baja, California, where Tijuana is located. Over 2,500 cargo trucks cross the border from Tijuana to the U.S. every single day. Tijuana's industrial sector helped Mexico export a record-breaking $476 billion to the U.S. in 2023, and the city also helped Mexico take the top spot as the U.S.'s number one trading partner. But... This economic success story has not catalyzed a significant improvement in the security dynamic in Tijuana. During his time in government, President Andres Manuel López Obrador has visited Tijuana on several occasions and has promised to bring peace and security to the city. Unfortunately, Tijuana has earned a reputation as the most violent city in Mexico and in terms of per capita homicides, is often ranked as the most violent city in the world. Gun battles between well-armed cartel enforcers are an ongoing threat in Tijuana. The city recorded over 1,800 murders in 2023. In order to talk about the security risks that are currently affecting Tijuana, Today we're speaking to Laura Calderon, the Executive Director at Justice in Mexico, a San Diego-based think tank. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nate. Thank you for having me. So, we know that in 2022, Tijuana recorded the highest number of murders of any city in Mexico, and... What's even more alarming is the fact that Tijuana was also ranked as the most violent city in the world in terms of per capita homicides. I see that over 17,000 murders occurred in the city between 2013 and 2023. So I wanted to ask you, what three words would you choose to describe the current criminal ecosystem in Tijuana? So if I had to pick three words, I think I have to pick contested. I have to pick hot spots and I have to pick normalized. And I'll I'll go through this um, as I explain a little bit. But first contested, it is well known now and documented that there are at least three main groups fighting in Tijuana. Originally, it was known to be uh, like a cartel de Sinaloa hub for a long time. 
and then um, Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación uh, made its move to enter Tijuana through an alliance with some members from the uh, former Cartel Arellano Felix or Cartel de Tijuana, creating a very temporary, very volatile alliance that was known as Cartel Tijuana Nueva Generación. There was some infighting between those two uh, groups that were supposed to be allies. And now we have three groups fighting for the Plaza of Tijuana. So the remnants of Arellano Felix, the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación, and the Cartel de Sinaloa. So that's why I picked Contested. It's clear that the city is divided and there is infighting to get to the border access that was traditionally, traditionally, sorry, uh, a Sinaloa turf. So we see a lot of violence, a lot of infighting, um, especially when Jalisco Nueva Generación entered the city, which coincides around 2013-2014. I also wanted to mention hot spots because it's not like the whole city of Tijuana is just, you know, on fire or in chaos. You can see uh, within the city some of the neighborhoods that actually have like over 20% of the violent crime. These neighborhoods are not very like touristic. These neighborhoods are mainly known by locals and even locals know uh, where to, you know, not enter after mid like night or you know, just to be careful with those neighborhoods. Um, I can mention Camino Verde, Zona Norte in like the downtown area, and even some violent crime in Zona Centro, and in the peripheries of the city. So if you start, you know, the transit between Tijuana and Tecate, you start seeing a lot of violent crime as well. So that's why I picked um, hotspots, because the most violent forms of crime are actually very focalized in Tijuana and sadly I picked normalized just because you know you mentioned the uh, homicide numbers between 2013 and 2023 but we have been seeing a modest decrease in uh, murders and intentional homicides in Tijuana and I feel like the violence is so normalized because you don't see the graphic displays anymore or you don't see as, you know, many deaths um, reported in media or like mainstream media that the public feels safer. And I think that's a very interesting phenomenon that's going on in Tijuana right now. Okay, interesting. So you picked contested hotspots and normalized and I, I think all of those words are very helpful but in particular i really think that normalized is a great word and when i look at tijuana it seems like the current status quo is just a high overall level of violence uh I know that Tijuana has recorded an average of over 2,000 murders per year every year for the last five years. And in per capita terms, it's about 10 times as violent as New York City. And 
In absolute terms, Tijuana recorded nearly five times as many murders as New York City in 2023. And as you explained, much of this violence is driven by this rivalry between these three major organized crime groups that operate in the city. But I think it's important to mention that there are also a lot of spillover effects that affect a broader segment of society. For instance, we know that nearly 900 violent carjackings occurred in Tijuana in 2023, and a number of innocent bystanders were injured or even killed during gun battles involving criminals. And a couple of years ago, I rode along with a state police patrol one night in Tijuana, and I saw some pretty interesting things. I watched the officers speeding around the city, performing a variety of tasks, which ranged from searching a suspicious cargo truck to patrolling high crime neighborhoods to handling citizen reports about violent incidents. And also I went with them in a search for a gunman who was reported to be walking around a, a neighborhood. And my experience in Tijuana seems to highlight the very difficult mission that police in Mexico face. On the one hand, they need to be a sort of paramilitary force that's able to confront well-armed cartel gunmen when necessary. But on the other hand, they also need to do regular police work. They need to interact with citizens and investigate low-level crime. So something that's important to mention is that policing takes place in the context of politics. and. Right now in Tijuana, all three levels of government are controlled by the Morena party of President López Obrador, meaning that it could potentially be easier for the mayor, the governor, and the federal government to work together on security issues. And I'm wondering, what grade would you give President López Obrador for his security strategy in Tijuana and more broadly in Baja California? I think it's it's a great question. I think I would say a C plus, and I I like to stay optimistic, but I think I'm gonna give it a C plus. There appears to be some effort um, to improve the situation. You mentioned it. The Baja California governor has a really good relationship with. Andres Manuel López Obrador, as does the municipal president. So there is definitely some coordination and collaboration to improve uh, the security in the state. However, I think Baja California in particular needs far more attention and support. And sometimes I would say militarization is not the answer. Um. You mentioned the police, right? Police have to deal with a lot of, as you mentioned, paramilitary activities just because they're often overpowered by cartel or by um, violent crime. So you do see a police force that is very, you know, strained. They're working for very complex issues, but also doing like 
actual community policing and all that, like more police related activities. But I think Andres Manuel's um, effort to send more Guardia Nacional to Tijuana was a reflection of the good relationship between the three levels of government. Uh, we do see more uh, Guardia Nacional officers in Tijuana patrolling the streets. The problem is there is no strategy, right? There is no strategy to dif differentiate what local police should be doing and what um, Guardia Nacional should be doing. So having this very like blurry line of who intervenes where and who is dealing with what kind of problems is not only confusing, but very a very inefficient use of the funds, of the security funds. Now, I want to bring up the normalization that I mentioned earlier because I was looking at some data. And of course, if you look at the hard numbers, you can interpret them, right? So if you see the numbers, there is a decrease in violent crime in Tijuana. And you can see how apparently the security strategy strategy is working. However, there isn't really much reliable data out there. If you see the intentional homicides data, you can see some discrepancies between what the state is reporting and what the federal uh, government is reporting. So there's my first concern, like who is reporting the true uh, figures and you know, what? where is the information missing? Like, where is it going missing? And also, um, there was one very interesting study by Inehi, and this is a, a survey on public security perceptions. They do this four times a year, every year. And according to this report, like the latest one was released December 2023, I believe. And... Shockingly, 62% of adults over 18 years old feel uh, Tijuana is insecure. And I say 62% um, compared to 2022 is about 4 or 5% less um, than how the survey reported in 2022 and almost 20% less than 2020. So you can see it, just public citizens in Tijuana feeling actually safer, although the numbers are still very high, as you mentioned. Like if if you take the absolutes and if you take the relatives, they're still pretty high. But somehow people feel safer in the city. And that I think is a reflection of the federal government's strategy on trying to put Baja California like as a top priority but not really designing an actual strategy to how to deal with the insecurity in the state. So something general that I always say about Lopez Obrador is that he seems to be a masterful communicator, but sometimes he struggles <laughs> with policy details. And it seems like when it comes to security, he's talking a lot about it. He's He's crafting a vision for what Mexico could look like over the long term, but 
Many security analysts have a lot of doubts about the specific policies that he's cho- choosing to promote in the short term. And I think that it really can be very difficult to clearly explain Lopez Obrador's security strategy. And on the one hand, he's adopted this rhetoric of hugs, not bullets. And he's tried to move away from direct confrontation with organized crime groups. But on the other hand, as you mentioned, he's also investing heavily in militarization. And when we look at Tijuana, just during Lopez Obrador's time in office, over 10,000 murders occurred in the city. And Tijuana has earned this unfortunate reputation of being one of, if not the most, violent city in the world. And I just wanted to mention a few recent news stories that I've seen about Tijuana. In 2023, there was a case where some corrupt police officers allegedly stole a shipment of drugs from an organized crime group and cartel gunmen began assassinating police officers. And it seemed like something that might be included in a future season of the Narcos TV show. And also in 2023, there were other incidents such as a mass shooting at an outdoor car race on the outskirts of Tijuana and a shooting that targeted a daycare center. And both of those incidents seem to be a little bit more like terrorism than just run-of-the-mill criminal disputes. And another story that touches on the overall level of violence is the fact that in 2023, Tijuana's mayor actually decided to move into a military barracks in order to seek extra protection from soldiers after she received threats from criminal groups. And... We know that gun battles involving groups of gunmen and multiple killings are are still common in Tijuana. But on the other hand, as bad as the violence in Tijuana is, the city's economy is still able to function. And we really don't see criminal groups extorting and burning down manufacturing facilities or kidnapping or killing executives at foreign companies. And that leads me into the next question, which is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think that the criminal activity in Tijuana affects the nearshoring trend of manufacturing activity? Yeah, I would say not much. So I would say about 4, maybe 5. Um, it's very interesting in Tijuana, like, as in all of Mexico, there is a lack of reliable data. So we can't know for sure how much extortions have decreased or increased in the last few years, mainly because um, victims don't often report because they don't trust the institutions to actually resolve their issues. But what I will say is that... um, Although in theory, it makes sense that insecurity will drive industries out of Tijuana. I don't think there is conclusive data to suggest that this is happening in Tijuana. As you mentioned, the economy is still going. Um, Tijuana is a major factory-led economy. So there is a lot of industry. There is a lot of what, what we call maquiladoras and just that specific sector in Tijuana is actually doing great, despite 
the insecurity in the city. Tijuana still holds the largest portion of all maquiladoras in Mexico um, with almost twice the amount of Juarez, which used to be the main maquiladora hub in Mexico. So I, I do understand how violence could be driving business out, but the business sector in Tijuana is very strong. And I think they are playing a very significant role in you know, surviving through the insecurity and designing strategies to, you know, create alliances with the local government and ensuring protection for uh, their businesses. So, uh, yeah, sorry. So four or five out of 10 makes it sound like security issues are something that foreign executives should be paying attention to, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like crime is really scaring investors away from Tijuana. Overall, the state of Baja California received nearly $2 billion of foreign direct investment in 2022. And I saw a recent report that ranks Mexico as the third worst country in the world in terms of the prevalence of criminal markets and ranks it as the worst country in the world for extortion. And we also know that Mexico ranks very poorly in terms of the strength of rule of law. It mm-hmm. is really ranked among the worst countries in the world. Um, but as I mentioned, we don't see a lot of anecdotal evidence or statistical evidence that powerful organized crime groups are trying to intimidate and extort foreign companies in Tijuana. And In other parts of Mexico, sometimes the evidence that that's happening might be that business owners are being killed in front of their businesses or uh, we're seeing their businesses burned down. And that tends to indicate that there might be an ongoing extortion racket that's affecting the companies operating in the area. But um, I also looked up some of the statistics on cargo truck hijackings. And there were only 12 in the entire state of Baja California in 2023. And that's a tiny figure in comparison to the thousands of hijacking incidents that were recorded in the industrial states of Puebla and Estado de Mexico in central Mexico. And I think that for foreign executives visiting Tijuana, the risk that they face might really be a random risk of being caught in a shooting in a public area rather than a targeted risk of kidnapping or violent robbery. But I also think it's important for executives at foreign companies to think about how the violence could affect their employees. And it seems to me like the impact of violent crime in Tijuana is really disproportionately felt by poor residents. And I know that in Tijuana, I visited gleaming modern electronics factories that sit on closed campuses behind security gates. And I've also visited some residential neighborhoods that even three decades after Mexico signed the NAFTA trade agreement, there are residents who are still living in houses that are made out of scraps of wood and other salvaged materials. And It seems like overall Tijuana's industrial sector is relatively safe, but many peripheral residential neighborhoods where workers might live can be more problematic. And I think that when we look at the ongoing security challenges in Tijuana, there's something else I wanted to ask you about, which is 
what is one policy reform that you would like to see implemented in Tijuana in order to improve the security dynamic? I think in very broad general terms, strengthening the institutions. And by this, I mean strengthening your fiscalia, having an actual autonomous prosecutor's office, I think it's key, um, mainly in reducing impunity, but also if you start working towards reducing impunity, you create more, more trust in um, the user and the victims, and that leads to more accurate measurements of how the system is working and how security is evolving in Tijuana and Baja California. So I would say focus a lot on strengthening these institutions that are supposed to be dealing with local problems at the local level. And not only the, the prosecutor's offices, but also the police agencies. Many, many police officers don't really have um, updated trainings. A lot of them lack adequate equipment. They don't have a clear growth path within the institution because everything seems so like, um, improvised there's no clear strategy on how to deal with the issues that the state is going through so yeah strengthening institutions from the roots from the actual workers from the officers from the people taking you know the complaints and following up with cases so working along with the local institutions if you have stronger local institutions they are the ones that actually know um, what is going on right in the city, in the state. So trust them and invest in creating stronger institutions at the local level. Okay, so improving the institutional quality of police and prosecutors is definitely something that could be helpful in Tijuana, but also probably more broadly in Mexico in general. Uh, we know that around 88% of all of the crimes reported in the state of Baja California go unsolved. And as bad as that sounds, it's actually a better track record than most states in Mexico, where the impunity rate can often approach 100% for many types of crime. And it does seem like in some ways the police in Tijuana are better equipped and better prepared than many police forces in other parts of the country but we do still see these high levels of violence. And I wanted to close by asking about a concept that I sometimes use to explain security dynamics in Mexico. And overall in Mexico, I think it's generally a mistake to try and reduce security problems down to a two-sided conflict between just the state and criminal actors. And I think that in different parts of Mexico, we see very different criminal dynamics developing. And I think that it can be very helpful to look at the relative strength of three main groups, which are the private sector, the government and criminal groups. And I think this triangle of power can be useful for understanding the dynamics at the local level. In Tijuana, we know that there are definitely powerful and well-armed organized crime groups operating in the city. But as you mentioned earlier, the industrial sector in Tijuana is also a major engine for job creation and tax revenue. 
We know that Baja California has the lowest level of informal employment of any state in Mexico. And overall, in Baja California, nearly two-thirds of all workers have formal sector jobs. And in some states in the South, by contrast, around 80% of the workforce works uh, for cash in off-the-books informal sector jobs. So... Unlike in states such as Guerrero or Michoacan in the south where the private sector is relatively weak, it seems like in Tijuana, business chambers and major corporations are able to push the government to implement more effective security policies and perhaps also to reach some kind of informal agreements with criminal groups. And the status quo seems to be that Tijuana has become a hub for cross-border drug smuggling and gang-related violence, but we don't see these criminal groups diversifying into rackets such as kidnapping, visiting foreign executives, or hijacking and stealing cargo trucks. And I'm wondering, do you think that the strength of the private sector in Tijuana is an important factor in explaining this current status quo of violent crime in the city? Most definitely, yeah. The private sector in Tijuana is particularly strong. I think as a result of the earlier 2010-2009 security crisis that the city experienced, a lot of members of the private sector, business owners mainly, started associating and started creating these networks of support, but also these networks to talk to local government, to talk to the state government, to emphasize the importance of protecting the local economies and protecting the private sector from um, other violent crime, right? So it is important to highlight that, yes, a lot of the private sector in Tijuana is highly educated, not only in what they do in their specific um, expertise and, and area of operation, let's say, but it's also very highly educated on security dynamics as a result of history. So a lot of these business men and business women that we see in Tijuana, you know, creating um, grassroots organizations or just like citizen committees to talk about security, most of these people actually lived through the 2009-2010 security crisis in Tijuana, where a lot of dentists were being kidnapped, a lot of business owners, um, you know, directives. So as a result, as a way of resilience, they created these networks to inform themselves, but also to put pressure on the local governments to, you know, help, help them work for the security of the city. So it is very important. It's very important to know uh, there is no way to say whether they have an actual agreement with violent groups, but there is a way to say that they are way more informed about security dynamics and they have the capacity to go to local governments and just demand some actions to protect their businesses. Uh, on an earlier episode of the podcast, I talked to a historian who 
suggested that Mexico might be returning to a, a model that does allow for some type of cooperation with organized crime groups. And uh, that same model that Mexico implemented in the in the 70s and there are questions about whether or not Lopez Obrador is trying to produce, pursue something similar now, but we don't have clear evidence yet. But I think that over the next few years and certainly over the next few decades, historians and investigative reporters and security analysts are going to look at what types of contact or cooperation Lopez Obrador's administration has had with organized crime groups. And we don't really know if there's a implicit or explicit agreement in place in Tijuana that allows both major manufacturing companies and powerful drug cartels to successfully operate and export to the U.S. But in practice, that does seem to be the status quo in Tijuana, that both of these legal and illegal businesses are able to operate and export quite successfully. And given the limited capacity of police and prosecutors and high overall levels of corruption and impunity in, in Mexico, we just don't have a, a clear picture of exactly what's going on, but it's still important to think about. And Overall, I just want to say that it was super interesting to hear your perspective on this topic. And I want to say thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. I wanted to take a short break to remind listeners that the Modern Mexico podcast is sponsored by Republica Coffee Roasters. Mexico is known for producing some of the best coffee in Latin America. In Mexico City, one of the best places residents and visitors can buy coffee is the Republica Coffee Roasters Cafe in Colonia Roma. Republica Roasters Coffee is also available for purchase online. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Mexico Podcast. If you like what you heard in the podcast today, check out my book, Searching for Modern Mexico, which is available on Amazon. The next episode of the podcast is coming soon. Until then, hasta luego, amigos.